pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us your word, which is so clear. Thank you that you tell us what you are like, and you tell us how great you are and how much you love us. Father, please help us to listen to your word. We pray that for the children as they learn from your word, and we pray that for us as we learn from it too. Please guide us and change us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So the reading is the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 2, and it's on page 255 of your church Bibles. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkath Hazirim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back and he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner and as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? 
How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Please keep your Bibles open. I think it's time for Abigail and Ruth to leave. So please keep that part of the Bible open, and um, I've just uh, kicked the lead out of the computer, so I think I probably need to put that right, otherwise I can see myself uh, regretting it when I light up with this lead around my foot. Okay, we're back to the the leading question of the evening. Why is it? that uh, there is so much conflict in church. It's embarrassing, isn't it, in our state, there are lots of different churches that don't talk to each other. Now, on our state, there are lots of different schools, and each with their own different catchment areas, and the head teachers of those schools love to get together and address the challenges that face all of them. They work together in that way. But when it comes to uh, churches, why don't we do that? Well, what we'll see tonight is that actually we don't need the latest church survey to tell us what the matter is. What we need to do is to go back 3,000 years to this part of the Bible, which will tell us why there is conflict in the church. You picked up, as we heard Debbie read that passage, that there are two groups that are at each other. And it's worth knowing the background to this split. Before we get to this point, in 1 Samuel, which is the part of the Bible before this, there was a king called Saul. He was the king over the whole of Israel, but he was a king who did not listen to God, and so God said that he was going to appoint another king. King David would be the king after him. Saul didn't like that one bit, so he kept trying to kill David. But interestingly, David did not do anything against Saul. He refused to uh, get into aggression with him. He was like a boxer who was dancing around the ring, ducking the punches, but never even trying to land one himself. However, at the end of 1 Samuel, the last chapter, Saul dies in battle. 
battle against the Philistines. David had nothing to do with it. And now in chapter 2, David is made king by his own people, the tribe of Judah in Hebron. And as king of Judah, he then begins to reach out in friendship to the people who were most loyal to Saul, a group of people who lived in a place called Jabesh Gilead. And David promised to do them good if he was their king. In other words, it's time for the whole nation to unite under one camp or into one camp under one king. But they don't. Now, what we've got to remember here is that all the people spoken about in this part of the Bible are all part of the nation of Israel. In other words, they are part of the Old Testament church. Israel is the church in the Old Testament. And there's one group that opposes David as God's king. There's another group that is on David's side but is not like David in the way that they carry on. So you've got two groups in the church. One group opposes God's king. The other group is for God's king but not like God's king. And so you have conflict in the church. And it's interesting to see the details of this. So let's do that as we look at the first heading, which is the one group that does oppose David and led by a man called Abner. Abner opposes the king. It says that in verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner... The but tells you that he's not like the other people who want David to be king. And the son of Nerbit tells you that he is actually a relative of the old king Saul because his dad, Ner, was brother to Saul's dad, Kish, and therefore the two men were cousins. And so therefore Abner led Saul's army. But let me tell you, this man, Abner, is not loyal to Saul. He is only loyal to himself. Notice how it says in verse 11 that David was king in Hebron for seven and a half years. Okay? Now, Abner has only made uh, Ishbosheth the king for the last two years of that. When that two years is over, I'll give you a preview, Ishbosheth dies, and then David rules the whole of the country for 42 years. But you can see that it's only the last two years that Ishbosheth was in charge, which means that for the last five years before that, Abner was perfectly happy to do things and to keep things going himself. He's only now making Ishbosheth king a puppet king, because David has started reaching out in friendship to the other tribes who were loyal to Saul, and therefore Abner wants them to have their own king so that they don't go over to David. It's not because of any loyalty to Saul himself. 
He's the one who's uh, doing all the action. This is Abner who is opposing David all the time. Now, think about it. That is a really stupid thing for him to do because Abner knows that God has said that David will be the next king. In fact, actually, when we get to chapter 3, we'll see that Abner says that himself. He knew full well. And the reason he knew that full well is because he was around the time when his old king was saying that that's what would happen. So if you were to uh, go back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26, he was there when Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David, you will do many things, and you will succeed in them. What he meant by that is that David would succeed him. In fact, actually, Saul was even clearer a couple of chapters before that, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 20, Saul said, And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So he knows what Saul knows, that God has made David king. And in fact, Saul's own son, who would normally succeed Saul, was very happy for David to be the next king. He said that as well. He loved David. So, it's a, a, a strange thing that he is still wanting to uh, oppose God's king, and so he divides. Uh, he, he rules it out. And that place that he takes the new king to, Mahanaim, is a very interesting place. It is about as far away from the Philistines that you can get. It's in the safest part of the country. Now remember, the Philistines are the real enemies of God's people. They are the ones who beat Saul in battle. They are the ones who are actually an enemy-occupying group in their country at the time. They're the ones that they should have been fighting, but Ishbosheth is tucked away, far away from them. Abner doesn't want him fighting them. Abner's just concerned about fighting David, the only thing on his mind. Ishbosheth, incidentally, isn't a great king to follow. You can understand why he didn't want to put him in charge of a battle. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Bosheth is the Hebrew word for shame. Ishbosheth in the Bible is written down as the man of shame, who does no fighting against God's enemies and lets Abner do whatever he wants to. And that place, Mahanaim, where all this is happening, is, another, is interesting for another reason. The name of that place was given by one of their ancestors called Jacob, and the reason Jacob called it that is because that was the place where Jacob called on God and God answered him. And so Jacob said, this is Mahane. Mahane means two camps. I've got my camp here, but look, I've just discovered that God's got his camp here as well. He is answering my prayer. Mahane means two camps. And very interestingly, that was the place where Jacob, if you remember that story, if you've ever read it in the past, 
That is the place where Jacob divided his own family into two groups before they went and met Esau. So it was a place of division. And that is what Abner is doing here. He's dividing God's people into two camps. Mehane. Because he doesn't want David to be the king. What about the other guy? What about uh, Joab? Well, he is for the king, but he isn't like the king. He's mentioned there in verse 13, and the son thing again tells you that he's part of David's family. His mum was David's sister, so David and uh, Abner are nephew and uncle which means he is also nephew or uncle to the two brothers of Joab, who you read about in verse 18. There's three sons, and because they're his nephews, they are fiercely loyal to David, but they are nothing but a right pain to David. We're going to see that as the story goes on. And so Jab certainly is uh, uh, a nuisance because he is not following David's orders when he goes head to head with Abner. Now, given that they are both part of the same nation, and much later in the story you'll see how they therefore consider themselves to be brothers, you can see that's the word used in verse 26 and verse 27, when they meet up, it is not a declaration of war. If you look at verse 13, you see that they're all nicely sitting around a pool together. But then, it all seems to kick off after some kind of competition that Abner suggests that they have in verse 4. But it all gets out of hand and it escalates into something far bigger. But they're not following David's orders in any of this. The second thing to notice is that they're not just not following orders, they are actually following pride. At least that's certainly true of Joab's brother. And if you look at verse 18, he does seem a bit uh, quick on his feet. I don't know if you've ever had to uh, watch a gazelle running, but I, I imagine that they're there in the passage because they're reasonably fast. And he decides proudly to take out the big man, Abner himself. He realized that Abner is really the cause of all this, and so he's going to go out there and sort it. And as you follow the pursuit, if you like, the blue lights flashing and the sirens going, and Asahel is, is speeding up and um, uh, uh, firing on all four cylinders as he takes off, well, you read the story and... Asahel has got the speed, but Abner's got the spear. And that's not a happy ending either. So by the time you get to the end of the chapter, there's this face-off between the two groups as they turn around and, As uh, and Abner gets reinforcements and therefore Jab Wise decides not to take him on at that point. A ceasefire is called... But at the end of the day, you can imagine that they are far less united now than they were 
at the start. Here are God's people completely at odds with each other. And very symbolically, Abner returns in verse 29 to two camps, Mahanaim. The nation is still divided. Nothing has been sorted. So our question here is, uh, as the nation has these two camps, what can we learn from this little part of the Bible tonight? And I want to suggest that the first thing that we ought to learn is something that Abner should have learnt, and that is you cannot stop God's king being God's king. He had every reason to know that David was God's king and would be God's king in the future, but he just tried to put the lid on it. That wonderful little uh, illustration that Hannah gave of her with the dentist. It was a straight no. I'm hearing this, but I'm just not going to act on it. And that's exactly what people do with Jesus today. Remember, the way to understand all of this part of the Bible is to see that David is the king, God's king of the Old Testament, who is telling us what it would be like with Jesus, who is God's king in the New Testament, the ultimate king. And in the life of Jesus, God, through his miracles, stuck pointers all over the shop that this is the future king who will be in charge. So whenever you read the gospel, you're not reading a history book, you are reading ultimately an introduction to the person who is going to be the future king, your future king. You want to know what he's like? Well, read the gospels. That's where all the pointers are that he is going to be the future king. But the world does the Abner thing. It tries to trample all that down and to pretend it just isn't there. So atheists do the Abner thing by saying, this Jesus is never going to be the king. It's just not going to happen. And religious groups do the Abner thing. And what the religious groups do is that they stick their prophets up as their little Ishbosheth version that they say they're going to follow rather than follow God's king. So you can see how amazingly contemporary this part of the Bible is for our scene today. Never mind the fact that ultimately all those prophets and gurus that they follow are all ultimately men of shame in the sense that they are weak, in the sense that they are all dead now, but people still follow them. And in that, there are certain Christian lookalikes too. So I think actually Roman Catholicism fits into that category. It looks a little bit like Christianity on some fronts, but ultimately it is a group that follows Mary. If you look at the statues, she's the one who's big. Jesus is quite small in the picture. And so therefore... Mary is the one that Roman Catholics, as they say their rosary, 
pray that she will deliver them in the hour of their death. That's what the words actually say. But there's no chance that could ever going to happen because she's dead too. And so therefore, we know where uh, the reality is. That Jesus is the only one we should be looking to and no one else. And yet, in different ways, we have our little ishbashets in place of him. And we put the lid on what he is like. The Apostle Paul described it really well. He said people know the truth, but they suppress the truth. That's your perfect Abner reaction. And it's everywhere on our estate as we go around talking. The houses that we go to have all heard about Jesus in some way, but they've all got their theories about him. And they don't treat him as God's king. But I think it's just important for us to understand it's not just outside church where this happens. You get Abner's in church as well. So people say, yes, no, we do believe that Jesus is God's king. They just oppose him in the way that they live. So you know how he says, enjoy sex. That's what the Bible tells us to do. But only within a marriage and only between husband and wife. In other words, a man and a woman. But people oppose that. They say, no, that's far too restrictive. You've got to open the boundaries beyond that. They oppose God's king. When he says, enjoy generosity with your money, I'll look after you. You can be like me. But they don't trust him. When he talks about his future kingdom, and he says that there are going to be certain people in it who will be in heaven, and people who are out of it who will be in hell, there will be those in the church who say, he's not right about that. Everyone is ultimately going to be all right. So no wonder you're going to get divisions in a church if you've got Abners in the church who look just like the Abners outside the church. You are always going to get two caps if the Abner factor is there opposing God's king. And that is where we find other religions coming in with their little puppet Ishbosheths that they want to follow in place of God's king and where Christians have a weak Jesus lookalike as well. Because that's what it is when we say we follow Jesus king but actually the Jesus that we have invented who lets us do what we want to do is effectively an Ishbosheth, not God's authentic king. But then there's a Joab problem. Because here, there are people who want God's king to be king. And remember, we're still talking about Jesus. We're not talking about David now. And they stand up for him. But they stand up and they'll do it in ways that are just not like him. And this is where I think... I personally find myself looking at the mirror 
because I catch myself being like this and I don't want our church to be like this either. It is a danger, is it, to be more fiercely fighting than loving. And brothers are to be loved rather than fought. I think it's so easy to put a lot of emphasis into getting things right and to say we've got to get the Bible out and to be clear and sharp on exactly what it says. It is so easy to work hard at being right and then what happens is well we are right but in the wrong way. And when you see me do that I would be very grateful if you could come up to me and correct me and I'll try and point it out to you if you're in danger of that as well. Now I know in some ways Joab seems to be less of a problem than Abner because at least he is on David's side. But the difficulty is that when we look at it closely to be unlike the king is to be ultimately opposed to him as well and that's what we're going to see as the story goes on. Joab is going to be going further and further away from David as a huge warning to us that we need to repent and not be like him. So that's why there's conflict in the church. There are going to be those who oppose God's king and we have that in our churches today and there are some who are loyal to God's king but who are completely unlike him in their loyalty and what is the answer? But the only answer is that we should long for David's kingdom to come. When he's finally king over the whole nation, finally those two camps will end and David will be in one camp and there will be final unity in God's people under his reign. And so therefore you end and you leave chapter 2 with this great longing in your heart, your kingdom come. That's the great desire. And that is why Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to talk to God, put that into the prayer right at the start. May your kingdom come. So when we see that there are fractions and divisions in a church, let's not play the blame game and say, well, your problem is that uh, you, don't, uh, uh, you oppose God's king. How much more honest to say, well, actually, let me look at my problem in this, because I'm probably more like uh, Joab, or I'm probably more like Abner. And the great prayer that we have after identifying our problem is, may your kingdom come. When the kingdom of Jesus comes, finally ruling over his people in person, that's when finally God's people will know his peace and... It's therefore what we long for, that it would come quickly. Well, we're going to uh, pray that prayer ourselves. That's a good thing for us to do. But I think it'd be helpful for us to take a moment to be honest with ourselves first. So, in a moment of quiet, why don't you talk to God and try and work out which of these two men you are most like and ask God to help you.
Let's pray that quietly first, individually, and then I'll pray a prayer for all of us, and then we'll take some questions um, and make other points that you might like to, that I might have missed out and not noticed. <coughs> Sorry about this frog in my throat, but uh, let's take a moment to quiet. You pray, and then I will. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, forgive us that in different ways we fail to follow our King, the Lord Jesus. Please change our hearts to want to be like him. And please, may his kingdom come for the great glory of his name. Amen. Amen.